This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hi, everyone. You're tuned into the Engineering Crew Coach podcast, the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. I'm Chris Knudsen, your host on today's episode about leadership. And there's no better place to learn about leadership than from a general officer from the United States Air Force. And if you're a frequent visitor to the blog or even some of the past episodes of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, then you know that I'm a little bit interested in leadership, and I know that many of you are as well. From my perspective, leadership is a skill, it's something that can be learned, it can be observed. It can be experienced, and then it can be put into practice in daily life. There's actually some terminology that, uh, that I know from, uh, from Army training called the be, know, and do. And we've been exchanging some emails back and forth with some of the listeners about that whole concept of be, and know, and do, which is really just talking about the fact that we develop the skills, and then we, we go out and we do. We apply it in life. And there's a lot that can be learned from just that simple three-word phrase, be, know, do, and how you apply it with leadership. And for engineers, we have plenty of opportunities to lead, from the work we do in design and project teams, to civic meetings, to public works or government positions. I mean, there's no shortage of leadership opportunities. And I didn't even mention professional or technical organizations. There's a lot of work to do there for leadership, a lot of opportunity. And in today's episode, we're going to get into leadership with retired Major General Paul McGillicuddy. We're going to hit on humility, where you can go to find leadership opportunity, regardless of what position you're in or where you're at in your organization. And we're going to talk about some leadership trip-ups, and then more importantly, how to get back on the horse to ride again. We also get into another topic set that I know a lot of you are interested in as well. That is productivity and workflow. Both are topic feature areas that we've got over on the Engineer Career Coach blog this month. But in this episode, Paul gives us some of the insight into how he managed his tasks, his calendar, and his email running a 45,000-person organization. So I'm thinking that if he can figure out how to do it for that large of an organization with that much workload, then any of us can put a process together to manage our empires. And if you're interested in getting more leadership wisdom, I recommend going over and checking out generalleadership.com. Now, I know that Anthony and I do a lot of these podcasts on leadership. We write about leadership, but that's not the main focus of what we do. Over at generalleadership.com, that is their main focus. It's all about leadership, and that's actually the forum through which I met Paul, and it's a place where you can gain leadership strategies and knowledge from retired and serving senior officers. Uh, People like Croft Edwards, who had an article on the Engineering Career Coach blog this past month and is also going to be a keynote speaker at the Engineering Career Summit in New Orleans next May, as well as writing and work from uh, General John Michel a name that you may not know, but one that I recommend that you get to know, just an exceptional thought leader on leadership and uh, just generate some amazing information out there for you. And then also Monty Fritz, who's really both of those gentlemen are the minds behind uh, generalleadership.com. So please go check it out. There's a whole host of other exceptional leaders over there, some great articles. I share a lot of that out through my uh, Twitter feed quite a bit, almost every week. There's always something coming out every week. So go check it out, generalleadership.com. And I'll just quick plug there. I, I have the good fortune of being one of the contributors to the forum, which is a real honor for me and a real treat to be associated with all these fine individuals. But before we get into the main segment for today's episode, I do want to take a moment and recognize today's sponsor, PPI, who makes the show possible. So if you're thinking about taking the FE, the PE, or SE exam this year, then I recommend that you check out PPI. They're the leader in engineering exam preparation. 
For a special 15% discount, use promo code COACH at ppi2pass.com slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com slash coach. And use promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. So let's get into the main segment via this quote from Lao Tzu. A leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. And now, Paul McGillicuddy on leadership. Welcome back, listeners, to the main segment of today's show. I'm really excited to have with me Paul McGillicuddy. Paul is a retired Air Force general officer with 31 years of service to our nation, and he flew multiple aircraft to include the T-37, the T-38, the F-111, the F-16, the U-2, the RQ-4, and also the KC-10. Just an amazing alignment of aircraft here. He also happens to be a decorated Gulf War veteran, having received the Distinguished Flying Cross for gallantry in action. In addition to this, he's also had the opportunity to command three different wings in both the U.S. and deployed. And in his final position in the Air Force, he served as the vice commander for the U.S. Air Force for the entire Pacific region, where he was second command of over 45,000 people stationed across the entire Pacific region. Just an absolutely amazing role of leadership throughout his entire career. And Paul, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Chris, thank you very much. And it's exciting to be here. Whenever I hear that bio, I can't help but be humbled because if my mom heard it, she would be laughing going, yeah, that's not the guy that I remember growing up uh, in Columbus, Georgia. Paul, I'll tell you, just, you know, having having served in the Air Force myself, I greatly appreciate your sacrifice, the sacrifice of not only yourself, but your family, all the hardships that you've endured, and the leadership that you've been able to deliver to the U.S. Air Force, to the airmen that have worked for you, and to the other people that have worked for you. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited to have you on this show because we can have this conversation now and really dive into the leadership lessons that you've learned throughout this three-decade career leading people. And, and I think that's absolutely amazing. And I just want to dive right into this because I think this, this interview is going to go really well. We're going to have a lot. I think we're going to probably go a little bit longer than we, we plan on, and that's okay. So I'm going to ask kind of this first question out because you left the Air Force as a general officer. And I think most people just realize that, okay, as a general officer, it's a, it's a relatively high-ranking senior leadership level position, whether they've been in the military or not. So I'll ask you, how does one best check themselves from letting their position or perceived power negatively influence others? That's a great question. And I'll tell you, one of the first articles or posts I wrote for LinkedIn was Humble Pie Breakfast of Champions. When I first wrote that post, it's not the same as the one I when I started out. The one I started out writing was a very humbling experience that happened to me about three months into my first command tour. And it was a very busy time. My boss lived literally right next door to me. And his board of visitors was going to show up at the base that morning for breakfast. And I was in charge of the officers club where everybody was going to show up and have breakfast. And I was in charge of ensuring that it was clean. My boss liked things clean. And I went over to check it out early in the morning. And long story short, I ended up getting angry with one of the individuals over there. And I came back home and my wife asked me what happened. And I told her the story and she stopped what she was doing and she folded her arms across her chest and 
just stared at me. And I knew at that point I was in a little bit of trouble. And she asked me, you yelled at Reggie. And I said, if that's his name, then that's who I yelled at. And she said, you know, Reggie is mentally handicapped and he's over there on a work program. Now I got to tell you, (laughs) at, at that point, I almost fell down on my knees. It took the wind right out of me. And to this day, it's a hard story to tell. So I I went back over, I made amends with Reggie, but I never forgot the lessons that I learned from that. First of all, my wife knew Reggie's name. I didn't. Second of all, she knew Reggie's story, and I didn't. And I was supposed to be the leader of this organization. I got to tell you, it's humbling. And it's, it's humbling to be the leader of any organization because it's not about you. It's about your obligation that you have to lead that organization and to protect resources, but most importantly, take care of the people that work for you. So I was like a lot of leaders. I stumbled into the trap and I got bit. It was one of the best experiences that I could have had early in my leadership career. That's a really, really powerful story. And, and you know, something that, that strikes me because it's Something that I, you know, from a lot of discussions that I have with engineers and, and especially the engineer leaders in firms is that for a lot of people, I'd say maybe the majority of people, there's no leadership. You know, they're not going through leadership school, and especially for engineers. When you go through your university work, there's not a, you know, there isn't a class on leadership. It just doesn't happen. And so there's this opportunity, unfortunately, to enter into situations like the one that you just shared with us. If you find yourself in that kind of a situation where you've really kind of stepped in it, what do you think are some of the best ways that that you can make amends and still retain your leadership perspective, your leadership position, and learn from it while being able to rebuild that relationship that exists between, let's say, an employee and a leader or a follower and a leader? Chris, that's a great question. And when I mentor leaders, the one thing I tell them in this situation is, you have to apologize. You have to do it sincerely and you have to do it quickly. If you don't, everybody else knows you screwed up. And when you don't apologize, they wonder why you didn't. If it's that obvious and that blatant, you need to walk right up to the person. In this case, I went back to Reggie and I said, Reggie, I apologize and I'd love to make it up to you somehow. And I did. And that's a whole nother story. But the bottom line is, when you screw up like this, you have to apologize. And you will actually gain more of a following and because you have shown yourself to be human. And people will connect better with you in those circumstances. Now, you can't do it all the time, and you can't continue to screw up. But you're going to make mistakes. And when you do, you need to fess up and make amends if necessary. That's a huge point. I think for a lot of our listeners, they know that, that I, I have an Air Force background as well. One of the lessons that my mentors taught me, and I also observed, was this need to be effective as a leader, to be human, to come across as more than just being this infallible person who seems to always get it right. Because as you just pointed out, oftentimes in our leadership, we're learning as we go along. And we have op- plenty of opportunities for you know, to stumble and trip over our own feet. And they always told me to be human, to, to come across as authentic, and to be able to connect with people by showing that you are a, you're a person. You make mistakes that you can fess up for that and get through that. 
Did you ever have any kind of experiences that you ran into throughout your career, or maybe even ones that you observed, where somebody was in a leadership position, they made those kinds of mistakes, but they didn't take the, the next step of coming back and trying to fix that problem? And if so, what kind of issues came up after that fact? Well, I've seen it. When you're a wing commander, you've got several direct reports and they have several direct reports underneath them. So there's a lot of people in a lot of leadership positions. I think that's always just a good time to, to sit down on a one-on-one and have a uh, quiet mentoring session. Not along the lines of you need to go do this or you should go do this, but just the discussion where 99% of the time people realize that it's probably for the best if they do go make amends. But like I said, I mean, you can't have screw up after screw up, you know, on a daily or a weekly or monthly basis. But when you do, you should go uh, apologize and move on. So, you know, obviously people don't like to, they don't like to think about the fact that they might screw up and get, and, and get things wrong. I mean, who, who does? Can you provide or maybe share any kind of thoughts that you have on where an engineer or project manager or even anyone else who happens to be listening to the show that maybe doesn't fit one of those two categories early in their career can go out and find leadership training, whether their firm's going to provide it for them or it's something that they want to go out and do on their own. The first thing I would tell anybody is join a professional organization, something that everybody in your career field joins. You need to be a leader and experience it. You can join nonprofits. You can do Boy Scouts, Boys Club. There are plenty of leadership opportunities. Your church is another one. When you're maybe not at the age where you're going to be moved into a leadership position in your organization, there are still leadership opportunities. And what you find out is leadership is hard. You're the head cheese. Every decision comes to you. And not every decision that you make is met with 100% satisfaction. As a matter of fact, it's normally about a 60-40 or a 70-30 split if you're doing it really, really well. So you're going to have to practice getting out in front and making those decisions. And then two, watch your good leaders and take notes. And just as importantly, watch your really bad leaders and take notes and promise yourself not to do the same things that they're doing. That's a great point. I'm kind of pleased that you, that you hit on the, the uh, organization being a volunteer, getting involved in volunteer organizations, because it's something that, that I know for myself through my leadership development, I had plenty of opportunities in the Air Force coming up through my engineering career in the Air Force to have leadership opportunities at different levels. But I was always involved in professional organizations. And what I found was not only did that open doors for me for opportunities to actually move into positions within my Air Force career, which it did, but I really learned some amazing skills because something that I found, and Paul, I'd be curious if you found this as well, is that I found that in the organizations, the private or professional organizations, that those leadership experiences were oftentimes the most challenging ones because there was no positional power. It was, you had to move people, you had to influence them, you had to provide the shared vision and to get them to move forward. Have you found that kind of a similar experience in your interaction with those organizations? Well, I will tell you, two times in my Air Force career, I was put in charge of a group of peers and expected to lead them and produce results. And it was a very, very challenging 
leadership experience. And one of the things I found that works best in those situations is you really have to roll up your sleeves and you have to lead by example. You've got to be one of the first ones in, you've got to stay the latest, and you've got to work just as hard as everybody else. Because if you start asking people to row harder and you haven't been rowing very hard yourself, it's tough to do. And if they're your peers, you're going to have to earn their respect and their trust and their confidence, and you're going to have to do it the good old-fashioned way, which is hard work. Brilliant points. So let me ask this, because a lot of leaders, don't want to use this term of professional leaders, but definitely you know people who have been in leadership positions for a period of time have shared with me that at some point during their career, there was like almost a definitive point where they, where they just literally, it's like one day they woke up and you know what? I got it. I got this leadership thing, you know, kind of where it all came together. And, they, and they've also shared that, yeah, it's a continuously learning process, but there's, there was a point when they just got that. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, did you experience the same type of emotion, the same type of a feeling? And if so, when was it? And maybe some of the context behind that. That's a great question. And I'll tell you, I never really did. And even maybe it was the last day of being a wing commander for the third time. Maybe I experienced it then. It's one of those things where if you think you've got it and you think you've got it all figured out, there's probably something lurking around the corner. And I think we should always continue to grow. I wrote down some things on this one. And it's there are things that happen while you're a leader that inspire you and give you an added boost of confidence. Every once in a while, you'll get a letter from somebody or an email from somebody that says, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for everything you've done. You've inspired me to do this, and it was great working for you. And it sometimes happens to people out there that you had no idea that you had influence over. And when you get those, it gives you pause because you realize that you are having an impact. People are listening, and it also should give you pause that you have an impact and people are listening and they're watching and they're watching everything you do. For me, I never had an aha moment where I said, man, I've got this licked and I would be suspect. And by the way, some folks might be out there that think they have it, but I'm, I'm all suspect of anybody who thinks they have anything licked because it can set you up for a catastrophic failure in my mind. And maybe I'm a bit more conservative than other folks, but that's just the way I think about it. I think it's a great point, and it was, I wouldn't say that it was a leading question, but, but I've had conversations with different individuals where they've, they've really felt, hey, you know, I've kind of got this thing licked. You know, I really know how the elements of it all to come together, and I've always sort of scratched my head. So I think the, you know, the key takeaway from really from this question is, is that as we move into, each of us moves into this, this whole, and I'm just going to say mindset of leadership, it's a continuous learning process. And so you've been at it for decades. I've been at it for a couple decades and I'm continuously learning. And I'm, I mean, learning from, from people that I'm leading, from people that are leading me. It's a continuously learning process that we go through through our entire, our entire professional career. And I think it's really a mindset. You know, if you kind of keep that mindset open of growth, and I think as Carol Dweck and all I'm actually going to put a, I'll put a link in the show notes for this for her book on mindset and this whole concept of a growth mindset and the fact that, again, with leadership, we're always continuously growing. So that's pretty amazing. 
So, Paul, you've, you've had a chance to lead at very high levels. Again, for those that are listening that don't know the rank structure in the United States Air Force, when, when we mentioned the fact that, that Paul has commanded three Air Force wings, we're almost talking like, I don't necessarily say that's like being a mayor of a city, but you know, we're talking large numbers of people, thousands of people working for you in three different situations. And then with your final uh, position within the Air Force where you had over 45,000 people reporting to you, you, you've had an opportunity to lead people. And you've had an opportunity, more importantly, to observe leaders that are out there leading people. And so from all of that observation that you've had this opportunity to do, which probably over the past decade, I'm curious to know what, what were some of the traits of the best leaders that you saw out there that were working for you? Thanks for asking that question, because I get that one a lot. And I'm going to take some time on this answer, if that's okay. Yeah, please, please. The best leaders I've had were kind. And kind is different than nice. Kind is the next level of niceness. Anybody can say good morning, and that's the nice thing to do. Kindness is someone that has empathy and can put themselves in your shoes. And when they're being nice to you, they're being kind in the fact that they're actually trying to help you and they're trying to understand you. It's a hard trait to fake. If it's not sincere, it won't come across as true. I think some of the greatest leaders I've had were just kind. They were kind to everybody and they were concerned about everybody they met. The other trait is humility. And I think kindness breeds humility or humility breeds kindness. One of the two. I think they go hand in hand. The final trait that you have to have is you have to have integrity. If you don't have integrity as a leader, you're not really leading as well as you think you are because everybody can see what you're doing. And if you're cutting corners or cheating at the edges and you think you're getting away with it, you're not. As a matter of fact, you're setting a new standard for the whole organization when you do those things. So when you're a leader in an organization, you have to act in a manner that you would like everybody else in that organization to act. And you have to do it without anybody else there to make sure you're doing that. And that takes integrity. And so all your actions, all your decisions, and everything you do day in and day out, they have to be done through the lens of, doing what's right, and acting with integrity. The best leaders I've had, whether they were demanding, whether they were a little bit tough, as long as you got the sense that they were good, honest, honorable people, it was very easy to work for them. When you work for someone who skirted around the edges, who you didn't think was honorable, it was very difficult to work for them. Those are great points. Again, just to kind of reiterate those, we're talking, you know, talking about kindness, humility, and integrity which I find to be, you know, in a lot of the mainstream material that I've read and that I continue to read, those are three descriptions of a leader that I don't tend to see out there. So it's interesting. Integrity is usually in there, but humility and kindness are typically two traits that I don't see with leadership. Yet you're coming from your Air Force background, you highlight those two traits as, as some of the, you know, the traits that were resident in some of the best leaders that, that worked for you. I want to unpack that a little bit more. I mean, how does someone wrap their head around becoming kind and having humility? Because usually when we think leader, we think of somebody who's out in front, 
type A personality, moving things and getting things done. How does somebody cultivate this concept of being kind and, and humble when they're out there trying to move and make it happen? That's a fair question and a really good one. I wrote down my fourth point here was, and they have to be willing to be out front and they can't shirk their responsibilities of, of leading. It's really all of those. But I'll tell you, I think kindness and humility come from self-awareness. And I think if you're a young man or a woman out there and you're junior in your organization, one of the things you have to work on is self-awareness. It's something you have to work on each and every day because I think the more you have, the more empathy you'll have, you'll have more kindness and you'll definitely have more humility. And I'm not the first one to stumble on the humility aspect. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, came upon that trait as the number one trait of successful CEOs was humility, which astounded me when I started reading the book because I was exactly like you, Chris. I thought it was more of a a rah-rah, I'm out in front leading the cheers, when in fact it's the individual who's humble and goes about his work quietly and gets things done. So that was kind of borne out in that book, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. I'm quite partial to, uh, to some of the some of our Stoic philosophers that are out there. So especially Marcus Aurelius, if if you've ever read any of his material, he even speaks about the importance of humility, not only to leadership but to just living one's life in uh, in simplicity. And this was a guy, you know, during his time was literally could have been considered one of the most powerful men on the face of the planet. So uh, that's just really really powerful. Shift topics here just a little bit, but it's still in the realm of leadership. And I almost want to even shift this almost to a followership type of question. So oftentimes we don't get to pick our teams. Sometimes we don't even get to pick the boss that we work for. And you can get put in this position where you may have a boss that's difficult, not easy to work with. Is there any tips that you might be able to share with us or you know share with the listeners on how they might best handle a difficult boss, someone who uh, is demanding, who maybe is micromanaging, or someone who otherwise is just generally difficult to get along with? I will tell you, difficult bosses and tough bosses and bosses that micromanage, if you're working for one, you're going to have to adjust to your boss as long as your boss is operating with integrity and as long as they're operating with ethics and you're right we don't get to choose our bosses and you've seen in the Air Force Chris where you have a great boss that everybody loves and they're kind and they're warm and you feel connected to them and then another one moves in and maybe that's not the case but you still have to adjust to the boss's leadership style as long as they're operating with integrity To not do so, you do that at your own risk because if they're just tough, they're going to see it as you're just not up to it. If they're demanding, they're going to see it the same way. Now, I'll tell you, when you have a boss that screams and shouts and acts in a manner that that is really rude and untowards their employees, I think the key to that is be a leader. Be the one that will go into that boss for other people that you're working with. Be the one that'll stand up to that boss when they're wrong, to a point. At some point, you're going to have to just get the job done. But there are times when you can approach most people, 
a public confrontation is not the way to go. Hey, boss, do you have 15 minutes that we can talk later on and then talk in a manner that you don't personalize anything? That'll go a long way. But oftentimes, as long as they're not doing anything that's violating integrity or unethical, you're probably going to have to work with it until a new boss comes along. And I'd like to have a better answer than that, but I, I just don't. That's a great point and a great, great answer. This is one of the one of the pieces of advice that I was given early on in my career, and that is it wasn't my boss's job to get along with me. It was my job to get along with my boss. Absolutely. And the other piece that went along with that was if if your boss told you to go do something or directed something to happen, I've had some bosses where there was they had a two-butt rule, <laughs> which was right. you could say, well, yes, but, and then you could do it one more time, and then after that, discussion was closed. Right. And then I had some bosses where there was no discussion. It was this, it was this, and then boom, you just had to, you just had to move out. As long as it was legal, ethical, and moral, you really did not have a solid foundation on which to stand. I bring this up, I ask that question for a purpose, because again, we've, we've had some questions that have come into the engineer career coach with engineers that are out there that are working for difficult project managers, difficult bosses, you know, I bring this up and I ask Paul this question, and I'm sharing this with all of you now, in that when you get into that situation, if it's legal, ethical, and moral, you're, you're really at a, at a discussion of opinion as opposed to really fact. And so you really have to come to an agreement with yourself as to, is this a company or a firm that I want to continue to work with, or is it time for me to move on? And that's a decision that you'll have to make. So it can be a Important one, I think, to bring up because a lot of people get into a position where they're working for a difficult boss. You just have to be able to make sure that you've got what I like to classify as red lines that are out there, ones that don't get crossed and ones that uh, that are okay to cross and go over. So true. Yeah, let me. So let me ask this question because you've you've again you've been in these positions of of leadership and and really of 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 operating very large organizations and. Just from my experience with the organizations that I've led, it becomes very easy to get overrun. I think that's probably the best term to use it, but overrun by schedule, by email, by the need to connect with different people. And I know, especially again, because we share this Air Force background, I mean, I know that in these positions that you were in, you had staff that were there to help you. But at the end of the day, you still are, are responsible for management and leadership of your own time. Are there any time management, and I, and I oftentimes I like to use the word time leadership, skills that you use or that you found to be really effective in being able to allow you to operate at these high levels? Chris, another great question. I will tell you, one of the things they teach you as you're getting more senior is to manage your calendar. And I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I probably spent two years not knowing what that meant until one day I figured it out that you really have to bring your front office in and make sure the things that you need to do and that you want to do are on your calendar and it's your calendar. And so if you don't actively manage it, if you don't take an active role in it, you'll end up getting the schedule you get rather than the schedule you want. So that's one of the things you have to do. You have to actively manage your schedule. Two, you have to delegate and trust. Every piece of paper that came into my office for my signature, 
and everything that I did, I asked a question in the back of my mind. I didn't do it to my front office because that would have drove them crazy. But I asked, why am I doing this? Why can't someone else do this instead? And it's not because I was lazy and I didn't want to do the work. It's just I had other more important things to do. So I delegated a lot of, I delegated as much work as I possibly could. And I think that saves some of the time. I think there's other techniques that we all use that focus when you start a task, finish it. I like to do emails and batches, get on a roll and say, you're not leaving until you finish going through your end basket. And the other thing I did, and I think this made me a lot more effective, and I learned this from my Army friends, by the way, who never left work. When I worked with them, I worked side-by-side of uh, some Army officers when I was in the Pentagon back in 2003 to 2005. It was a wonderful experience, but they never went home until all their work was done. And I asked them why, and they said, when we wake up in the morning, we don't know if we're going to be overrun or not. So we have to get it done before we head out. And it's a great army mentality, but I'll tell you, I never went home or I never left the office without getting through all my in-basket and my emails. And that really helps your front office too when you do that because they know that if they put it in there, you're going to get it done. And it also helps everybody in the organization that nothing is coming up to the, the head office and is languishing or are going to be waiting too long. So those are some of my techniques. That's a great point on the uh, on the uh, information that you know the, the kind of the technique shared by your army friends because almost about the same time frame two thousand two to two thousand four I was an executive officer to the uh, to the civil engineer at Air Combat Command and his rules of engagement were that you didn't leave and this was for the execs we didn't leave the building until every email had been touched. That's right. And the three rules were you, we either did it, we delegated it, or we deleted it. That's right. Which is a, a callback to the Get Things Done by Dave Allen. And so I've, I've stuck with that through my, you know, for my career after that point. You know, I stuck with it every day until my inbox was down to zero. And I kind of chuckle about this now because there's, there's actually apps out there, and I'll share some of these in the, uh, in the show notes, but there's apps that you can install on your iPhone now, or if you're a Mac user, you can install them on your Mac. And I actually, I think my, my partner, Anthony, is using one of these apps. It's almost a game now on, on email of getting your inbox to zero. And so, it's, right. it, it, again, it's this concept of, you know, getting all your work done because, you know, well, because you might be overrun the next morning by uh, unforeseen circumstances that you got to deal with. And I think for engineers, the takeaway is that, you know, we're, we're talking about this in this context of a military context but in reality this is this is completely applicable to you especially if you're a project manager you leave work you know in the evening and you have an inbox that's got 50 emails in it let's say half a dozen of those emails or even one of those emails is associated with a project that you're working on that isn't going well you get in the next morning you've got another 15 emails that have come in especially if you're working with a project team that is across several time zones, you're automatically behind the power curve the minute you walk in the door. And that's a dangerous position to be in as a project manager, trying to unbury yourself from the email the day prior that you could have <laughs> done something with you know, the day of. And so there's a lot of different techniques that we can share about how do you, you know, how do you figure out which is the right email, et cetera. 
you know, I think the basic takeaway on this is that you really have got to crank through that material in order to be, it really, quite frankly, in order to be on top of your game. Let me ask this next question. As I record this interview with you, um, I, I just finished recording an episode with a, just a wonderful lady, Suzanne Rowan, who is an expert in, in networking and working rooms. And so this question is, is, how do you perform networking? And I guess maybe the follow-up to that is, is, do you think email or written correspondence makes a bigger impact when you're trying to get your message across? I'm a big believer in the best way to network is either face-to-face or via phone call. Emails and uh, texts are great for introductions, but you always want to move those to a phone call. And I think the majority of those phone calls ought to be spent on just getting to know the other person. And in that regard, maybe I'm old school. Maybe I've got way too much time on my hands. Who knows? But I think the best way to do the networking is go from a small connection to a much larger connection and see where there's opportunities for each other to help each other. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And and I almost want to, if you're willing to do this, almost use use our interaction as, as an example of that. Absolutely. You and I connected, gosh, it's only been almost now as we record this, only a few weeks ago, and it was virtually, but we've had a, we've had a number of conversations via Skype, and we've gotten to this point now where we're sharing this sharing this podcast, and and I know for for myself personally, it's been it's been very beneficial just to have your friendship and your connection, and I think that there's definitely a lot that can be learned and can be developed from from doing this networking and the importance of getting out there and, and interacting with people. So that's that's great. Well, let me ask this uh, this next question because this is something that my uh, that Anthony and I are very much focused on and very very much interested in. We read a lot, uh, pretty voracious readers, and so it's something that I ask uh, most many of the guests that come on the uh, the podcast. What are three books for you that have had the most impact in your professional career? I think you'll find when I tell you these these three books that I'm a big believer in history and biography. It just about anybody who will listen that works for me or with me that history and biography are really the keys to self-awareness and context. Because what you find out is there aren't a lot of new ideas out there in the world, and there aren't a lot of new situations. And the more you read biography and history, you find out that a lot of these guys and gals that became famous, if you will, or achieved success did so through hard work and stick-to-itiveness or perseverance, for another word. So my three books I would recommend that had the most impact on me are The General's War, and that was the story of uh, Desert Storm. And I'll tell you why. I've read that thing three times in my Air Force career, and each time I read it at a different rank, and I perceived it completely differently each time. And the last time I read it, I was a general officer. I could just hear the conversations, and but I also knew the context of what was going on behind the scenes and what was driving the decisions that were made. And you realize that personality plays a large part in the daily interactions that go on around the globe. The other one is 1776 or any other book by David McCullough. I actually got to see David McCullough speak on the book 1776, and he says... When I sat down to write this book, 
I sat down at my desk and I put a big word, a big poster above my desk, and it had one word on it, context, to write history in the proper context and then to read it in the proper context. And finally, just a, a book that I find is fascinating, which will tell you about personalities and the interplay of personalities, is Jefferson Davis and his generals, the failure of the Confederate command in the West. That's a long title. If you just remember Jefferson Davis and his generals, it's just a fascinating story about how the South wasn't as cohesive as you might have thought they were. Those are my three books. That's great. And we'll, we'll definitely share links with all the listeners in our show notes for, for these books. Actually, I identified quite a, quite a few of them in the, in the list here. I've got a couple that I've made notes on myself that are now in my reading list, which is continuing to grow. So I'm going to have to up my game when it comes to trying to get through all these books. So I appreciate that. Well, Paul, at this point, I want to jump into the uh, Take Action Today segment of our show. And, and I'd like to ask you to stay around if you're, if you're willing to do that. You bet. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. I've asked Paul to stick around to provide an actionable element of information that you can use to enhance your leadership. But first, I want to share a little more from our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. My listeners often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE, PE, or SE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. If you plan to take your exam soon, I have a special promo code for listeners of my podcast. Use promo code COACH for 15% off your order at ppitopass.com slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com slash coach. And use promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. PPI's mission is simple. They want to help engineers pass the FE, PE, and SE exams and advance their careers. Quality is paramount at PPI. In fact, it's the driving force behind everything they do. With best-selling exam review materials developed by PPI founder Michael Lindeberg and other experts in the industry, they have been the source and solution for passing the FE, PE, and SE exams for more than 40 years. To see how PPI can help you pass your exam, and for special offers and discounts exclusive to my podcast listeners, visit PPI to pass dot com slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two pass dot com slash coach. All right, Paul. So what's one tip, tactic, or I'll even throw out mindset that our listeners can implement immediately to truly experience change in their leadership practice? Well, we've all heard of seven habits of highly effective people. And I think one of the habits is to seek first to understand. It's more than just trying to figure out what's going on. It's also to try to understand the individual you're dealing with. Everybody wants to be understood. And at one of these leadership courses I went to, I I learned this. It has stuck with me. The need to be understood as a human being is as great as the need for oxygen. When you blow off someone or you don't take the time to understand that person, and they're trying to make you understand, you're suffocating them. And I got to tell you, that was just eye-opening to me. And when you talk with someone and you sincerely look at them and say, I think I understand, and you can repeat back what you think they're going through, you'll see their shoulders sag, their body, their, all the tension goes out of their body, and they go, exactly, 
That's exactly what I was thinking. And I will tell you, when you can do that, you can connect with people. You've got to be sincere, though. Thank you. That's huge, and thank you so much for sharing that. It's a pleasure to have, have made your friendship, have of, of had the opportunity to be able to get to know you, and more importantly, to bring you on this show and to share this episode with all of our listeners. And thank you for your service and your leadership throughout your entire career. Chris, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope all of you out there have enjoyed it as well. Please share with Anthony and I your comments, feedback, questions, and you can do so by going to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash lead or the TECCpodcast.com, and on there you'll be able to find the links where you can leave Anthony and I the feedback that you have. Again, that's engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash lead or TECCpodcast.com. Also have there, when you click that link, all the show notes that are going to contain a summary of today's key points, as well as all the resources, websites, and books that Paul and I have mentioned during the show today. And Paul, before we leave, I want to ask, how can people reach out, get in connection with you, learn more about what you're doing out there? Chris, thanks for asking. I'm on Twitter under the handle of PH McGillicuddy. I also have a website, paulmcgillicuddy.com. I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm also on Facebook under Paul H. McGillicuddy, LLC. Any one of those, you can reach me, or you can email me at p-a-n-d-m-j at gmail.com. It truly has been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Chris. Absolutely, Paul. And again, we'll share with all of you out there all those contact details that you can reach out with Paul. Get connected with him. We hope you enjoy this show, and until next time, continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com, where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.